Welcome back to Talking Leadership. I'd like to start the podcast by sharing the view of what excellence in leadership looks like from my guest today. I think an excellent leader has a way of being able to connect the dots and help that person to find that internal buy-in, that they're not doing it because they have to, but because they actually want to and they feel compelled to. So by way of introduction, my guest today is Shandell Labazetta. She has a background in sales, business development, and is a mindset master trainer and coach. She's also a motivational speaker, and she is the author of Confident Closing, Sales Secrets That Grew a Business by 400% in Six Months, and How They Can Work For You. And last but not least, she is the founder of Life Puzzle Proprietary Limited. As always, I'd like to thank you for joining the conversation. And so enough of me talking. I'll hand over to Shandell and I hope you enjoy the podcast. I'll definitely give you the cliff notes version. As, as we get into this, my background, as you mentioned in the introduction, was actually in corporate sales and marketing and, and business development. And uh, many years ago, I actually uh, suffered what a lot of people would call a professional burnout or a nervous breakdown. And so um, I was a high performer, type A personality, always striving for excellence and success and looking to climb that corporate ladder. And unfortunately, I had this underlying internal dialogue about not being good enough, not being enough. And despite huge amounts of success, I was always looking at the percentage of things not achieved as opposed to the ones that were achieved. And so through a a series of different events, I co-founded this business with my mum, Teresa, who unfortunately we lost to pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago. But really the, the journey came out of the breakdown that I experienced and some mentors who had told me about neuro linguistic programming, which is an art and science on how we use the language of our mind in order to affect our results and our behaviors and after taking some trainings I realized that I had been able to not only transform some of my results but also I was able to fire what I call the itty bitty shitty committee they're the group of people that sit on your shoulder and tell you why you can't have what you want or why you're never going to get your goals or why you can't succeed and so that underlying inner voice and that inner dialogue that was always sabotaging my results was finally fired and uh, I got really passionate about wanting to be able to share some of those tools and resources with other people who maybe struggle in a similar way. So we're nearly 18 years into our journey now and we've been able to help a lot of people. We believe that sales is the number one life skill and that is because there is three important sales that we make. The first sale <laughs> is the sale we make to ourselves, that we can do it, that we are worthy, that we can achieve whatever we put our mind and our action to. Uh, the second sale is the sale of influence where we converse and share our ideas in an influential way with people around us. So whether that's you know talking to your boss about you know why you deserve that that uh, that salary increase during your uh, your PDR or what have you, or even something as simple as you know winning the argument with your child about the fact that it's now the time to go to bed. <laughs> Um, And then, of course, there's that third sale, which everybody's familiar with, which is that transactional sale where we talk about, you know, how how do we, um, you know, align values and exchange products and services for uh, dollars and engagement. Interested to ask you then, what's your definition of leadership? Leadership is really about being able to know what is the common goal and to, you know, pace and lead the people that are contributing to that goal to provide guidance, support, collaboration. And so to me, you know, I think that sales gets a little bit of a bad rap. A lot of people see it, you know, they've had a, they've had a really poor experience. Usually they've had a really poor experience with a salesperson where they felt manipulated or um, coerced into something that they, you know, they didn't want to experience or that they didn't want to buy. And to me, you know, I think that sales
sales is really the art of influence, which, you know, there are lots of alignments when it comes to leadership. And so to me, I think that there's lots of parallels. In your circumstance, again, with, with two decades of experience in, in this field and the the fact that you've been a co-founder of an organization, do you believe that the this, when we're talking, and, and again, we might be looking for a difference where none exists, but uh, potentially when you talk about leadership and the leaders that you've had a chance to interact with and yourself, do you think when you look at their their styles, how they carry themselves as a leader, that they would they might argue, and this is this is subjective to you, of course, but when you've seen them, do you think they separate the leadership function from that sales function? Yeah, a good salesperson uh, not only sells you the pitch for why you should buy a product or a, you know a, you know a good or service, but they're they're trying to get sell you the the almost the business case for why this option is better than the other option, and amongst a hundred different options that you might have, and ultimately, and this is being fair to those in the sales community that um, it's ultimately my decision whether or not I spend money or not spend money on something. And so influence is one thing, but at the end of the day, nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying, buy this or else you make that. Buy or die, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so do you believe that the, the sales people, the sales leaders that you've met, do you think they pass out the difference between the sales side of their skill set and the leader side of that? Do you think they're two different worlds or are they a melding of the two? I think, you know, it's a very fair question, Eric, in the sense that, you know, as I said before, I think a lot of people see, you know, sales and leadership as being separate. I think that's the norm rather than, you know, the the um, the, the the standard the other way around. And so you asked a little bit more about getting granular on what leadership is and, and where the parallels are. I think it really comes down to intention. From, from my perspective, the leaders that I've interacted with, if I, if I sort of think about the people that I've either reported to being they were my leader or whether I've been leading someone or watching my clients lead other people. Uh, If I had to look for a particular theme or a pattern that I think worked the best as far as, you know, ensuring that, you know, these leaders were not only getting outcomes, because I think there's a lot of really great leaders out there that get outcomes, but they don't necessarily have the the buy-in from their people uh, in the same way that they'd like to. And so for me, leadership is really about not only recognizing the common goals and helping to pace and and lead people to them it's really about how do I ensure that this person actually you know finds their connection for themselves about being bought into that common goal because like you said you know at the end of the day no one's holding a gun to your head you know and it's not your decision to buy or it's not the leader's decision whether that person's going to buy in or not everybody has free will but I think an excellent leader has a way of being able to connect the dots and help that person to find that internal buy-in that they're not doing it because they have to but because they actually want to and they feel compelled to yeah that's um that's a nice way of talking about that it's been put to me the art form of leadership that if, if you can influence those that you're leading and they're doing things because because they see the the benefit outside of taking a paycheck home that we're talking about different levels of leadership and again why I do these these discussions and you brought something up that that's interesting I hadn't thought about is how do you define you know effectiveness and we'll talk about this in measuring success in a second but it seeing as you brought it up now let's talk about it now I guess is it's interesting that you can get leaders that are trying to achieve outcomes, never quite get there. Or like myself in the advocacy space, you're just trying to best to represent the interests of an industry, not always necessarily getting what 
people might call the win every time, but being in the fight is just as as um, as critical as not having been in the fight. Because if you don't stand up and be counted, then what does anyone know about what your your headspace is at? And 100% agree, you're going to get leaders that achieve and and uh, maybe overachieve if that's if that's even possible. But nece- they don't necessarily have the people there, so it makes for an interesting dynamic of what do we really call effectiveness, and then how to what degree are you bringing your people along? People's motivations for being at work are all very different. I, I, I have met and I'm sure you've met people that are in roles because they want a paycheck and they're happy to do the job until something else comes along. It's, you know, they'll, they'll be professional, but they're not invested in the work that's being done. I think that's always the trick. And on that, just let me ask you, because you're a co-founder of a business and I'll, with your with some indulgence from you, maybe put you up in the category of entrepreneur as well as, as identified leader, that do you think the, the people that play in that space of founding businesses look at leadership in a slightly different way. Was that something that was conscious in your mind or was it, is it only something you think about when someone like myself asked you the question directly? No, look, it's definitely something that's always conscious in my mind. Uh, you know, I, I think that particularly in the entrepreneur space, as opposed to, you know, leaders in organisations where they're employed to, to you know, occupy a leadership role, I think that there's a learning curve that every leader goes on in terms of finding their own style and, you know, figuring out what they want to actually represent what's their intentionality as a, as a leader and people have different measures of what those things are and sometimes those measures are different from what their team's expectations are and this is one of the reasons why I always talk about getting the buy-in of the team because if you're a, a leader and you're getting the results but your team doesn't have any rapport with you or they've got no connection to you you might be getting those results but for how long because people will only commit to what they're actually bought into they'll only be motivated by things that they're inspired by and actually as an analogy I you know I'll share with you that I, I published a book a few years ago called Confident Closing and originally I want to I wanted to call the book Feeding Salt to Horses we decided not to do that because you know obviously from a marketing perspective if you have to explain the title of your book it's you know it's not very effective however the premise behind it is still part of the book in the sense that you know we've all heard the analogy you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink however you know if you know what salt to feed to the horse then by the time you get it to the water it will drink because it wants to and it's thirsty not because we're trying to drown it in the water and I think some leadership styles are very much about drowning the horses um, and some you know might be more effective in the sense where you know those leaders have found the right connection of messaging and you know what it means for the individuals in their team to then contribute to the overall team goal so that's my uh, look I, I don't think you have to be a psychologist to work out that there's something in that about the those terrible leaders because we've all met them and uh you know for those listening uh Shandell smiling very, very <laughs> ear to ear on that one I, I tend to agree I think you you can get a lot more from trying to bring people with you than trying to be coercive to one degree or another so measuring success for you Shandell what does that look like for me personally or, or how I like to teach it with teams or uh, for you for you yeah for, look for me personally I, I you know as I mentioned before as part of my history I've always been a person who you know is driven by outcomes and so you know to me I think that if if an outcome is defined and, and working towards achieving that being able to deal with some of the obstacles that come up along the way and you know collaboratively work towards you know ensuring that we navigate those obst- obstacles and and still get to an outcome that's 
something that's very important to me for me personally and so for for my style of leadership I think you know what gets measured gets done and so you know as being you know very clear on the outcomes and the steps and the things that people need to do in order to contribute to that that's something that's important to me and you know I believe in things like you know morning routines and you know having having a good understanding between you know how to set yourself up for success and I and I for me personally I think that that's something that you know, I share with my team quite openly and encourage them to find things that work for them so that they're also able to you know hit those those targets or those outcomes while still enjoying the process of doing that <laughs> yeah fair enough and always an art form in in doing that look given disclose quite a bit about your background and how you got here and I very much appreciate that let me ask you something a bit more about your pathway in leadership again and this is around this idea and of why I've included in the podcast is I think it's worth teasing this out from different individuals so I'll put it this way making decisions and being the person who ultimately is responsible for xyz has sometimes been couched as being a, a lonely road so I've, I've looked at it and I haven't labeled it this way because I know someone else has so I go down this lonely road of leadership idea is it really a lonely road of leadership or as lonely as you make it I'm much more on the on the of the opinion that it, it's as lonely as you make it I think I think that there are definitely some elements that can you know be lonely if you choose to put yourself in different communities and connect with other leaders I think that there's a lot there's a lot that can can be shared in terms of the in terms of the collaboration if you're a part of the right networks or you connect with the right people. I think that personally I've seen some leaders and entrepreneurs you know make the mistake of you know creating a need for validation appreciation from their team and so when that is not forthcoming then they can create beliefs about the fact that they're either a not not a good leader or they feel like they're lonely or you know I think I think it's definitely a choice like most things in life uh, you know it's definitely a choice as to how much you engage in it being a lonely road it also depends on you know what the definition for the individual is in my opinion you know it, it may be that it may be that you're a sole leader, meaning you're making most of the decisions. If you have a leadership team, then, you know, there's collaboration in that also. So it really just depends on the intentionality or the or the goal, in my, in my opinion. In that response, I picked up this idea of, of looking at your networks and looking at the people that you're with. So I'll put it to you this way in, in maybe the, the leadership speak, mentoring. So do you have mentors have you sought mentors out and again we'll go back to this idea of granularity have they mostly been informal or formal as in by formal i mean you've you've gone and set up a, a proper formal relationship we meet once a week at this time for however many months so have is that been part of your makeup as a as developing into leadership Absolutely, 100%. And so, you know, one of the things that I often say is that if I'm a coach, a mentor and a trainer, for me to not invest in that, you know, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit hypocritical in my opinion. And I've met some, you know, coaches, mentors, you know, who think they know everything and they don't, you know, they don't invest in that. So, you know, I often have a little bit of a chuckle about that. Um, you know, Carl Jung's perception is projection, you know, pointing the finger out, there's three fingers pointing right back at me. So um, one of the 
the things that I've always felt very strongly about is having mentors. And, you know, you asked if I had formal formal mentorships um, and coaches versus informal ones. And the truth is, is that I've had a combination of both. You know, I, I don't just have one, one coach, I have several, uh, and I have them uh, specialists in different things. You know, so for example, as a leader, I'm, I'm very, very much uh, aware of the fact that my own physical well-being and my mental well-being can affect how I lead other people. So um, I have, uh, you know, a coach in the area of, of breath work and, you know, to deal with some of the, you know, emotional or psychological challenges that may come up um, and some techniques around that. I, I have a business network that I'm a part of, um, a board that I report to, uh, and I also have uh, a couple of mentors who are seasoned entrepreneurs and um, leaders in the corporate space who I will call on, you know, if I need advice or the opportunity to externally process some of my decision making with, you know, someone who I know has been through similar challenges. So I'm a big advocate for, you know, not trying to do these things on your own. It sounds like you've um, you've really hit that mentoring thing and, and made the most of it as much as you can. I think it's, um, and this is a personal view, I think they're critical to building not just a better leader, but a better human being because I've, and I've, I think we've all met these people that think they have an answer to every problem that conceivably might come up. I don't myself subscribe to that view of the world. I know there's shit I don't know and I'm happy to seek it out. Uh, not seek shit out. <laughs> Sorry, I'll edit that out. I'm happy to seek the wisdom of others because um, having a naysayer, even someone that puts the counter to you, helps you open up possibilities for what might happen if I take path A versus path B. And whilst I personally am an advocate for skill sets around strategic thinking and foresight, I mean, looking at what are your possible futures and then going for the ones that are actually achievable is a critical thing. But I don't think the most effective leaders don't get there without reference to others. So in my circumstance, I like you, I've sought out through most of my career more towards the latter end of it because when I was young, I was young and uh, naive and I thought I could come up with an answer to almost every problem and you quickly work out that you can't. So as, as I sort of matured into the world of work and not leadership roles, but just being out in the world and, and, and being in amongst what it means to work, you learn a few things and and I went down that pathway of more informal mentors and peer level networks. So you talked about having um, uh, mentors, both formal and informal. My reliance has very much been on a peer network. Would you say that it's made you a better, more effective leader by having that network? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, just on that, you know, informal versus, you know, formal, I think it, it's I'm of the belief that when people are invested in something then you know they'll show up 100% and that investment sometimes is of time sometimes it's an investment of money and whichever the listeners might choose to you know look into or engage in further personally I believe that you know having commitment to something and having that accountability often is assumed naturally when there's an investment of some sort being made and and without that investment what can sometimes happen with just peer groups is that you know everybody starts out with a great intention life gets in the way oh we'll meet on Thursday at three o'clock every week and we'll chat about this thing and you know someone has a, a you know a child that was sick so can we cancel or I'm not coming in or and often sometimes without that 
you know little bit of uh, rigor routine and commitment around it you know things can sort of so, sort of fall out and and that's one of the reasons why I opted to have both formal and informal because when we have a formal paid engagement then that person is being invested in or that those group of people are being invested in by myself and so there's an expectation that everybody's going to show up and play 100 percent um, and that's what's important to me and as far as you know gathering information getting feedback um, having that consistency around that I think is really important too. Chandel, this has been a great conversation, but I want to tease out if I can a little bit. Leader capabilities, uh, what do you think are the most critical ones for you? So not not what you think others might think of it. You're in the hot seat. You, you've got, you know, two decades of experience in a business. What what are they? What what are the what are the the critical ones? Yeah, look, I, I think um, and we've sort of alluded to it a little bit in terms of leader capabilities. You you had mentioned before, you know, self-reflection. And I think that one of the key things that's really important in leadership is the ability to have an internal and an external awareness. I think that there's some people who have um, amazing external awareness so they know to to look and to manage the things that are going on outside of them but they struggle with self-reflection so they're not often assessing how they showed up for that or how they contributed to the outcome that they got to and then there are some leaders that are you know all internal in the sense that you know they're they're assessing themselves based on their own criteria and how they feel about certain things and they might be completely dismissing the feedback that might right in front of their face with their teams whether it be through behaviors or words or or, you know lack of lack of performance or you know even you know potentially you know lack of engagement and so internal and external factors I think are very very important. Do you think it's easy for people that report to you to give you that honest feedback about what it is that you're doing? Do you, do you think it's easier when you've got a team that's invested or just in general, it, is it difficult to give feedback up the line? I ask this as someone who finds that extremely difficult. I, I don't mind being given feedback my way. I'm happy to take it. But for me to be the person being the judge of, of someone else, I find it extremely difficult. I, there's just something in me that, that, and I don't know why this is, but I'm happy for anyone to critique the hell out of me. I don't care. I'm, I can, if I get offended, I'll wake up tomorrow alive and well. It's a, it's okay to be offended, but I don't necessarily want to cause offense to someone else. So you, you... I don't think anybody does, you know, it's a, it's, no. it's a common, it's a common itty bitty shitty committee criteria, you know, it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to say that because I might hurt that person's feelings. And I recently was uh, chatting with one of the informal networks uh, or the informal mentors uh, and, and a lady uh, who's in family business said, you know, you, you definitely don't want ruinous empathy. Um, and that's where, you know, you actually have so much empathy that you don't speak the truth that it ruins kind of the, um, you know, the, the potential outcomes that you could get. And, and in answer to your question, Eric, I think that it's not easy for, you know, team members or, or direct reports to be able to come to the authority or the leader and say, hey, I think you really messed this up and here's why I think you messed it up and here's what could happen if we did it differently. I think that's a really challenging position for most people to be in, particularly if they have, you know, respect and, and rapport for the person that they're working with. And so I think it's really up to the leader to communicate. And this is another one of the things that I think leaders should have is, you know, excellent 
communication to be impeccable with the word and to be able to communicate effectively and I think you know Patrick Lencioni talks about in the five dysfunctions of the team the importance of having you know constructive conversations about you know things that can be approved and that can be improved and I think you know he uses the terminology around you know vulnerability that people need to have safety in being vulnerable whereas I think sometimes what can happen is you know people might come they might actually have the courage to come forward and share feedback and yet they're often shut down with justifications or potentially consequences of sharing that feedback so I think it it really depends on the individual in terms of whether or not they're going to come forward some people are more mindful of, of you know how they might offend and other people might be more focused on you know getting the outcome and being honest about that so I think it's up to us as leaders to give permission to or, or to make clear the permission to be able to give feedback and take that on board. Let me bring you to the the question, the topic area that I've used throughout the podcasting. And um, I'm not going to not ask you this question because I think it's worth exploring. Nature versus nurture. So do you believe leaders are born or they're made? Oh, it's such an interesting question. And I, it, it, the truth is, is I think you can argue both ways that, you know, I think, I think that you can come up with valid arguments for, for both. I think. Ah, so you're a fence sitter, hey? Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> not a fence I'm in the area of helping people to be, you know, the best version of themselves today and what can they learn to be an even better version of themselves tomorrow and the next day and those sorts of things. So I think for me to say that it was only nature would be unbelievably hypocritical. And I've seen people who had no leadership skills, you know, put time, energy, commitment, uh, into learning skills to become better leaders who are very well revered by their teams. And so I think that if I if I was forced to argue one way or the other, I, I would definitely say that it's about it's about nurturing and I think that people will be the best version of a leader that they can put in. Um, what they put into their learning will allow them to be the, the best version of themselves today. And, and I truly believe that, you know, really fantastic leaders are people who are ever evolving leaders there's always something to learn and we talked about it very briefly earlier that the concept of feedback and getting that you know getting that feedback I think that the two most dangerous words in the English language is to just say I know and it's almost like you know people put up a giant hand I don't know if you remember from the 90s when they used to say things like talk to the hand Uh, and to me when people say oh I know all that already that's like putting up a hand and we we miss the opportunity to potentially learn something it might be a slight tweak or a one percenter that just makes us handle that situation a little bit better the next time it comes to the forefront and so I certainly believe that there are some people that have it in their nature to you know seek out being a leader more more than others like for example uh, there might be you know people who perhaps have you know in the disc profiling a high d personality and so they might you know be more more led towards being a leader than say somebody who might be you know more a a c or or an s or but that doesn't mean that there aren't amazing leaders that have been have learnt skills regardless of their natural disposition towards it just let me expand on this a little bit if i can because that's a fantastic answer and a couple of extra elements so i i had as a guest gentleman by the name of Mike House and I asked him this exact question and then he threw me a curveball which I thought was great because I'm now using it in the discussion so thank you Mike for for putting this out there but I think there's a couple of additional elements that I'd, I'd like your feedback on if you if you think they're relevant or not that 
one, leadership is always a choice. So whether you're born or made, you've got to make a decision to be in the leadership headspace. And number two, that leadership at its core is about having a lifelong learning mindset. And that I, I think those things are critical to that discussion. So what, what would your view on those two things be? I think everything that we do is a choice and a decision. And I think decisive action and understanding your choices is is one of the most important parts of that continuous evolution as a leader, which is one of the reasons why I'm a big advocate for feedback, both before and after decisions. You know, sometimes you can make a great decision, you can get a great result, but if you don't do any self-reflection or you don't do any can I, then, you know, you might miss critical things that could make it even better. So the choice to be decisive, the choice to be re- reflective, the choice to seek out more the choice to engage like I I think that there's so many elements of leadership that actually are choices and there are people who make choices and they're like everybody makes a choice there are people who make choices that support their leadership and there are people that make choices that perhaps diminishes their leadership and you know I've had some interesting discussions with some of the organizations that I, I coach and mentor in this space just this week around exactly that and you know different people have different psychologies therefore they make different choices uh, based on their filters so that I definitely agree with and and interpret in terms of the continuous and every never-ending improvement and the and the evolution over time i think you know that my answers so far obviously give you the idea that i'm definitely an advocate for that and i 100 percent agree you know there there are also there's an evolution that happens and a, and a willingness to understand that depending on who you're leading your style may need to adapt also you know so having more scope in terms of the leadership skills and that flexibility to be able to manage you know a simple example would be you know your style may not work if you have a team of introverts versus a team of extroverts you know you may need to be adaptable in that style something as simple as that can be the difference that makes the difference the situational nature and your style needing to adapt to others that's again it's part of the art form that if you're not thinking about those things and if things go wrong then you now when you do a post-mortem of why the hell are we at where we're at then those are the things that you need to be looking at but again i think it assumes that you're prepared to be self-reflective because i have met human beings in my life that would understand self-reflection if you put it you in the you, face. <laughs> yeah so this is what self-reflection no that's not i don't understand that and they're not I, I really believe with some people they're hardwired not to want to do that stuff and it just it goes so against the grain that it's not something that they're prepared to engage with and i know that human potential human potential is you know i've heard it said it's limitless and we can change cells if we want to but i've met human beings that that's not that's not the case the roadblocks there and you're never going to change the roadblock ever and this is where it comes back to desire eric i totally agree with you like are people hardwired for some things being you know one way or the other 100 percent. you know our impacts in our you know childhood our adolescent years you know can help to shape a person and some of their preferences now i'm a big believer as I do a lot of stuff in human behavior as part of the work that we do, I'm a big believer that people can change those hardwired preferences if they have a desire to. And so, and I've seen people do that where, you know, they may have been incredibly introverted. They were going after a career where they needed to engage with more people. And so they learned certain styles of being able to be more, you know, socially charged and, you know, to actually interact with others more frequently. And, you know, these are things that you can learn 
learn skills to be able to adapt to your behavior if people want to and you know as far as the hard wiring is concerned there's so much research around the neuroplasticity of the brain that even if we have pathways that have been hardwired for many years with desire we can actually you know change those things which is one of the reasons why I'm so you know supercharged towards helping people find their buy-in for why they want to do things that the buy-in is the the critical bit so you're only going to be able to change if you really want to do it and that you know that's a decision you've got to make look this has been a, a fantastic discussion and let me finish by asking you this looking back on your your career your, your pathway that you've chosen to take what would Shandell say to a younger version of herself about being a more effective leader? Wow, that's a great question. I think as I assess all the different experiences that I've had over the years, there's definitely, it's not been smooth sailing, as I'm sure for many of the listeners, maybe even yourself, you know, that we all have challenges and obstacles that we come up, come across. And some of them impact us emotionally more than others. And some of them slow us down. Some of it, some of them may even cause, you know, some people to potentially question everything and maybe even decide that they're not cut out for certain things that they were striving towards. And so, you know, for me personally, one of the things that I would, I would reflect on if I had an opportunity to go back and visit my past self, I I would remind myself that every single obstacle represents an opportunity for growth. And I suppose this fits into that self-reflection, because if I think about some of the things that have been most challenging and most difficult to swallow or to learn from, or to, you know, really allow myself the opportunity to assess and dissect and, and, you know, really look at my blind spots. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the Jahari window where, you know, we have things that are known to us, things that are our blind spots, of course. And so if I think about you know those things and and that assessment it's been out of those most challenging moments that i've been able to get the most benefit and the most growth and so it's one of the reasons why i say to people that the moment before the breakdown is often the moment before the breakthrough so hang on so if i was able to go back and talk to my younger self i would perhaps you know educate myself earlier along the way that not getting your way all the time doesn't necessarily have to be a catastrophe it might be just the medicine that you needed to be able to do the analysis that gives you the skills that will, you know, help your growth and your evolution. I think I'm as a more mature person, I'm definitely more willing to accept that and get the lessons faster these days. So thank you, Shandell. Look, before we go over to you to to just give a bit of a uh, an overview as to what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, no problem at all. Look, I want to say thank you to you, Eric, for having me on the show and thank you to the listeners for tuning in. I I, I trust that there's been something valuable that you can take away. And so at Life Puzzle, as I said before, we're super, super passionate about helping people to, you know, learn the skills that they need to bridge the gap between the 80% psychology and the 20% strategy. And so we have a number of different trainings that, you know, help people to understand a little bit more around the mechanics of neuro-linguistic programming or how to look at, you know, sales and influence from a different perspective. And so we'd love to, you know, have you get in touch. If you want to, you can reach us at lifepuzzle.com.au or alternatively, we also have a gift for your audience today. If anybody would like to uh, access my book, The Confident Closing Sales Secrets That Grew a Business by 400% in Six Months, How They Can Work For You. There's a very big element of leadership and uh, psychology in that book. So we'd love to gift an audio copy to your audience if they want to access it. I'll give you all the details on how they can grab that. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you for that. So for those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you for joining us again. As always, more content on the way. And thank you again, Shandell, for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you all on the next podcast.